So this morning we are in Luke chapter 8. We are doing a, a study in Luke called True Story. Um, everything that we have read to this point has been part of um, Theophilus's his request of Luke was, look, will you just go and will you research, interview people, find out all these stories that we've heard, are they in fact true? And the account that we have in our Bibles called Luke is his report back. And so far we have found this, that Jesus is true, the stories are true, he is the Messiah, he is powerful. And so this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, we're going to talk about something, if, um, how many of you, I'm, I'm just curious, don't feel bad if you don't raise your hand, but how many of you were raised in church, you used to go to Sunday school, let me see your hands. Anybody remember flannel board? Oh, well I'm so sorry. Um, so if you went to Sunday school, then this is a story that you've heard before. Okay, so this will not be new to you at all. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. And we're, we're talking about, if you, have, if you have, have, have headings in your Bible, it might say the parable of the sower. How many of you have that in your Bible? It says sower, S-O-W-E-R. They got it wrong, just so you know. It should be the parable of the soil. Okay, it should be the parable of the soil. Let me tell you, let me tell you why. Um, there are three main players in this parable. It, they are the sower, the seed, and the soil. And what we're going to find as we read through this is that the sower and the seed stay the same, but the soil changes. So that's the one dynamic in this story. Um, if you, how many of you garden? Just curious. How many of you? Does anybody, does anybody in here, you try to garden, but you just kill things? That's my crowd right there. Like we just, you know, some people have green thumbs. I have a black thumb. Just, I kill everything, like, just a touch of death. Like, if, you, if we plant something in our house, I can't even grow grass. I mean, in my house, when um, people are like, where do you live? I said, I live under the dust cloud in the summer, right? Because when I mow the grass, it's just like dust and everywhere. I, a couple years back, I posted this picture of me after I had mowed the dirt. And, like, I had to throw that shirt away. It's ruined. It's got, I'm, I'm covered from head to toe in dust. I can't grow squat, Right, And so in this parable, what we're going to learn is there's this seed that's being sown and, and we learn about different soils that it falls on and the result of the seed based on where it fell. Let me just give you this real quick statement. It's the parable of the soil because what we learn is that the fruit is all about the root and the root is all about the soil. Okay, The fruit's all about the root and the root is all about the soil. So what I want to give you this morning is this. I want to talk about four types of soil. I want to give you three takeaways and one super big challenge. Okay, that's what we're going to do today. Four types of soil, three takeaways, and one big challenge. We're going to read it first, and then we'll be um, talking about number one, about the soils. We're just going to pick it up in verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. Jesus loved to speak in stories. I don't know if you're a word person or a picture person, but I'm a picture person, right? I love it when people tell me stories. So Jesus loved to speak in stories. He loved to tell these things called parables. And this was the one he told here, verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Farmers are less and less in our culture, but in this culture, people are like, everyone's a farmer, right? It's an agricultural society. Um, we don't have that as much anymore, but... A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. And some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. By the way, you'll see that phrase a lot in, in the Gospels. And so I'm sure what didn't happen was when Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear, people were like, yeah, okay, just making sure I still got ears, right? Like, people, have you ever talked to somebody and you explain something to them and then they're still looking at you like, what? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, I'm telling you something really simple, really plain, and if you have ears to hear, you're going to hear it. And if you don't, you're not, okay? I'm not sure if it was a crowd full of teenagers or not, but let's keep going. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, the son of the this knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. And this is the meaning of the parable. Verse 11, the seed is the word of God. If you have a Bible with you today, if you have a Bible app on a device, you hold today the seed. Okay? I love it when Jesus is plain, don't you? No cryptic answers. He's like, let me just tell you what it means the seed is the word of God. This is the seed. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Okay, so let's talk about these, these four types of soil. Um, you got, got some blanks on your page. Um, soil is more than dirt, okay? In this story, soil is more than dirt. Here are the four types of soil. Um, the four types of the heart. So you understand that, right? We're not talking about dirt, we're not talking about what's in, in your yard, what's a lot in my yard. What we're talking about is the heart of the person who hears the word, the heart of the person who receives the seed. That's what the soil represents. So here's four different types of hearts, four different types of soil. The first one is a hard heart. Verse 5, he said, a farmer went out to sow, and as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Um, any of you guys put seed out in your yard? You either, you either broadcast it with your hand, right? You throw it out, or you get one of those really awesome machines. And if you're like me, you don't have a thing to hook up to your tractor because your tractor doesn't work. So you get in those manual ones and you push it, right? And so as you push it, it and it throws the stuff out everywhere. So this is a picture. He didn't have that, that machine. But this man's walking out. The sower's reaching in his bags, like a little Johnny Appleseed, right? And he's throwing this seed out, and he's broadcasting it. He's planting. He's sowing seed. And some of it fell along the path where he was himself also walking. And that path is a hard heart. These are people who were unreceptive to the word. I'm going to give you some scriptures. Just we'll, we'll read some of them. We won't read all of them. I think they're up on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 19. It says this. 
So I tell you this, Paul's writing, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Gentiles in this passage is referring to people who don't know Jesus yet. Okay? They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you're this person, then what the Bible says is you're, you don't have a hard heart because you were born with one or somebody gave you. You have a hard heart because you have chosen to continue to harden your own heart. I don't know if you know people who play the victim card a lot, right? Well, my life would be great if I just could get the perfect job, if I just had this, had this, had this. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And this is about you, right? You've hardened your heart. That's what this is saying in Ephesians. They've hardened their own hearts, having lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Um, This is such a bad condition that the writer of Hebrews, just jot down Hebrews 10, 29 through 31. I'll just paraphrase this. He says that people, these kind of hearts are actually trampling on the mercy of God. So it's interesting that Luke would say that this, this is a hard, the seed fell on a hard path that had been trampled on. Man, we sometimes, we are the ones that are doing the trampling, right? Like we trample on the grace of God. And, and Hebrews 10.31 says that those that do that are ultimately going to face the judgment of God. We trample his grace and we face his judgment. So the end result of this heart is that the word is stolen from them. 1 Peter 5.8 says that we have an enemy, his name is Satan, and he roars around like a lion looking for someone to devour. We, we post YouTube, well, not we, but you know, we as a society, we post YouTube videos all the time of like, oh, there's a lion, there's, that's so cute. And the lions look for something to eat, right? He's looking for something to devour. John 10.10 10 says that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So when the word of God is preached, when it's declared, when it's thrown out there like seed... Sometimes it falls on hard hearts, and those are the ones where Satan can quickly come and steal because the seed's just laying there on the ground. Here's the second group, Rocky. So you got hard hearts, you got Rocky. I don't mean Rocky Balboa, right? We're talking about Rocky hearts. So these are, um, in, in, this, in this culture, a lot of times what would happen is you would throw the seed out, and the seed would land on what appeared to be dirt, but just under a thin layer of dirt would be nothing but rock. And so you can imagine as the roots are coming out, there's just nowhere for the roots to go. It's dry, it's dusty, there's no water for the roots, there's nothing. So what happens is it, those seeds that would grow quickly, and sometimes, sometimes we're guilty of looking at quick growth and saying that it's the same thing as mature growth, but it's not, Right? The only thing I can really relate this to would be, and I know it sounds like I'm picking on teenagers, I'm not, but um, you ever notice when, like, sometimes teenagers, they grow faster than they can handle it, right? Like, they're, they're big, like, their bodies just, you hit this really awkward stage, you know, somewhere between middle school and high school, and suddenly they're just, they're 6'1", their voice is starting to kind of crack and change a little bit, and you look at them and go, that dude is a man. But if you talk to them long enough, you're like, nah, still a boy, Right? That's kind of what this is like. It's kind of like there's quick growth, and sometimes we're, so, we're such a vision, sight-driven society that we see growth and think it's maturity. But this is very clear. You can have growth without maturity. 
And it could be quick growth. These are the kind of people who we put in leadership like that. Oh, you'd be great at, and then they're never around. Because we confuse quick growth with mature growth. The sign of maturity is lasting growth. John 15, 16, Jesus said that he wanted us to have fruit that remains. So the fruit that we want is lasting fruit, not flashy fruit, right? We want lasting fruit. And you can't have lasting fruit if you're in this category because there's nowhere for your roots to grow. You're hitting rock all the time. Colossians 2, 7 tells us that we should dig our roots down deep. So how do you do that? Let's just say that you, um, you're not going to raise your hand and say, I'm glad you're talking about me this morning because I'm rocky. You know, I can sense it. I'm that big dude that's really just a boy. How do you get your root? How do you grow your roots down deep? Some of the ways that you can grow your roots deep here at the gathering. We talk about community groups a lot. Because in community group, you, you dig your roots down together. They grow close together and they grow deeper into the soil. So we mentioned summer, summer studies just a minute ago. Um, personal Bible reading. Those are some ways that you dig your roots down deep so that this does not describe you. Listen to this statement. We dig deep by getting the Word so that the Word can get in us. We dig deep by getting in the Word so that the Word can get in us. Right? That's how you do that. If you're a gardener, you will recognize right away that digging is not always fun. I landscaped my way through seminary. And so I can remember, on, and this is in Columbia. So anybody here from Columbia outside of Wendy? I know Wendy's from Irmo. Okay, so like Columbia. Let's describe Columbia in a word. Hot as, okay. So it's really hot, right? It's, it's super hot. Like people, people in Columbia, it, it's humid. Summers are brutal. Um, and so I landscaped through the summers in Columbia. Oh, yeah, that's fun. You lose, you're losing weight every day, right? Like you take multiple showers a day and you still sweat. It's awful. And the worst thing I, the worst thing I wanted to do was plant Bradford pear trees. <laughs> because I wasn't the boss, right? The boss said, plant that tree there. And then like these were huge trees. Like he'd bring them in on a backhoe and he would like, Beep, 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 set them down in the ground, on the yard. And it's like the bulb's like this big around. And there's like two shovels. And there's three people. One's the boss and you're not him, right? So it's like you grab that shovel and it's like, bam. And you're like, oh. And the worst was like you would jump. You're so tired you would jump and you would miss it. And so like up, the, you know, it's just not good. It's hard to dig. So can, we, can I just tell you this just to make sure you understand this? Like, we don't take pleasure in the fact that it's hard, but we need to be aware of the fact that to go from rocky to the good soil is going to require a little bit of effort. It's, it's work to dig, especially in North Carolina dirt, also called clay. Here's the third type. We've got, um, we've got hard, we've got rocky, and then verse 7 says there's a third type. It's thorny. It says this, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it. And choked the plants. Um, can we just say this? This is crowded, okay? These, this, is, this is a heart that's crowded. We talk about margin a lot. Here it is again. So I've got a little, I've got a little phrase for you. Um, here it is. Pull weeds so you can grow seeds. 
You got to pull weeds so you can grow seeds because the weeds actually steal the nutrients from the seed. So you've got to pull things out of your life so that the word is not choked out of you. And, and I have to do it too. Like, it's not like you and not me. We, this is what we have to do. Have you noticed that you don't have to try hard to accumulate things? Don't you sometimes feel like a stuff magnet? Like you walk into Walmart and you buy one thing and you get in a car and it's full. How did that happen? Like stuff just clings to us, right? Everywhere we go, like, like we should just, we, we need Tupperware, we need storage con- containers, we need big units, we need big pods. Like we need all kinds of stuff because we just attract stuff. In your heart, it's the same way. Have you noticed that? You don't have to try to attract things in your heart. Our hearts just get crowded. You have to be intentional about weeding. Weeding is intentional and it's time-consuming, even if you have Roundup. You still have to go out and spray, right? Uh, The weeds are going to be gone, baby, because I bought Roundup. It's out in the shed. We're good. Now you got to pick that stuff up and spray it, right? You still got to do it. And then the last type of soil, the kind of soil that we all want to be, verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil. Everybody say good. good. That's the last kind of soil, good soil. It came up. And yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now, this parable is told in all three, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, so like there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I'm just giving you some stuff so you can jot down and be smart later, are called the synoptic Gospels. Synoptic is a really big word, and it just means that they have the same perspective. So they're the ones that have parables. There are no parables in the Gospel of John. John is a whole different perspective of the life of Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because they all have the same perspective, the same viewpoint. Um, and so this, there's, there are six parables that are in all three of those. This is one of them, okay? So if you look this up in Matthew and Mark, you'll get a little bit more detail. Um, Luke doesn't give all the same details that they do. So even like here as an example, he says that it yields a crop of 100 times more than was sown. If you read Matthew and Mark, they'll say 30, 60, and 100. Um, just little details that they have that are different about the same parable. The point of it is that good soil doesn't produce growth. Good soil produces a crop. It's good if you grow. That's good. But you can do that at home. You can get out on a podcast. You can watch. There are better preachers than me, and they're on TV. No one's coming to my house asking me to be on TV every week, right? You can get good teaching. You can grow personally, but to have a crop, that's what we want. I don't just want to pastor one person who's grown. I want to pastor a crop. We want to see a crop growing up. So what would happen if the word of God fell into all of our hearts and all of our hearts were good soil and all of us could instantly, boom, have a hundred of us. I mean, a hundred good of us, right? Not the bad of us, right? If you could follow Jesus and all of a sudden there were a hundred just like you, just as passionate with good soil, do you see how quickly a city can change? This isn't about growth. This is about a crop of growth. That's the multiplication that God wants in his kingdom. So uh, real quick, look at verse 15. This is like Jesus gives us a little sneak peek behind how you get there, right? What's going on in the good soil so that you get a crop of 100? It says, but the seed on good soil, verse 15, stands for those who with a noble and good heart. So what do we know right away? A little bit, just a little bit of theology here. You weren't born with a good heart right? We weren't. 
Jeremiah says, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? We were born with a sinful heart. Read Romans. Thank you, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve, for doing what we also would have done if we'd been in the garden, right? So our hearts are sinful. We're born with sinful hearts. So for him to say that this is people with a noble and good heart means that somewhere along the way there's been some repentance done, correct? Somewhere along the way we've said, my heart is wicked and I need a new heart. Ezekiel said, I will remove, God said, I'll remove from you the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And so to have a good and noble heart means that there's been the work of repentance done. Just a couple um, verses you can jot down. Psalm 51, 10, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And then the one I mentioned in Ezekiel's, Ezekiel 36, 26. So there's been repentance. There's been like this cultivation of the heart by the word of God. And then there's been the hearing of the word. So we know that they're, we know that they're listening because it says, um, with a noble and good heart who hear the word. That means that if you're here this morning and you've repented of your sin, and, and I'm, I'm assuming probably most of you have, maybe you're here and you haven't done that. You might be a hard, a rocky or a thorny heart. But when you repent of your sin and God gives you a new heart, it means you're sitting here and what you actually have is a heart that's receptive and open to the word of God. And now you're hearing the word of God. I mean, you're Hopefully you're hearing it okay. Like I hope I'm not doing a horrible job. But you're hearing the word of God being preached to you. That's the second thing. And then here's the third thing that happens. And this is where sometimes I think we might miss it. It says that they heard the word and they retained it. And so there's not just been a hearing of the word, but there's been an honoring of the word. There's been an honoring of a word enough to retain it. Enough to go home and think about it. Enough to consider, may I possibly like, should I think through what? Paul talked about this morning. Should I maybe read this again? Should I pull out a growth guide and should I get in community group? We, we're not just, we're not just hearing it, but we're honoring it as well. And then the last one, it says that, and by persevering, they produced a good crop. Don't you hate perseverance? I mean, am I the only one? I've gotten to a place now where, like, I know when I go out for a long run, I know when I'm going to wimp out. Do you know, like, I'm not a little run, but whatever task you, you do that you hate, do you have tasks that you hate? That makes it sound like I hate running, which, ironically, sometimes I do. When you hate a task, don't you know? You know. I mean, the minute you start doing it, I ain't doing this the best I can do it. I'm going to, five minutes, I'm out, right? You start vacuuming. If you're a vacuumer, you ain't moving furniture to vacuum under that furniture. Uh-uh. No, you just vacuum around it, right? That's like when you sell your house and you move the couch, you're like, oh, whoa. We should stage this house to cover that up, right? I mean, like, you just know. And I've noticed, like, on long runs, if I do a loop sometimes, like, I'm going to do it one time and quit. So sometimes, in order to make sure I persevere, I'll do what runners call an out and back, which means you just start running in one direction until you're halfway through your run, and then you turn back. Because you know that even if it stinks royally, you're still doing the run. You force yourself to persevere. Perseverance is like something that we, we value, but we don't like. And this says that that was the most important step. They persevered. And by persevering, they didn't stop. They didn't quit. They didn't look for a quicker way, an easier way. They persevered in the word. And I'm going to tell you, if you've, ever, if, you, if you've ever on December 31st prayed this prayer, God, next year I'm going to read the Bible all the way through, you know about perseverance, right? Because somewhere in there you get to Leviticus and you're like, I don't understand. And I think I'll try again next year, right? 
God will honor me for just the little bit that I did. We understand, like, perseverance is hard. But God wants us, wants us to be in that good soil. That's where he wants us to be. So those are the four types of souls. Let me give you three takeaways and then one challenge and then we're out. If you're like Jesus' disciples, then verse 9 is where you are right now. They said, um, what does this parable mean, right? They're right. It's like, that was a good story, but what, what's it mean? So here's, here's the four, three takeaways. I've got three takeaways for you from that. Here's the first one. Throw seed everywhere. I don't know that Billy Graham said this. I don't think he did because it's not something Billy Graham would say, but it was attributed to him. One time Billy Graham was asked about the state of the church, and he referenced this parable. And he said, according to this parable, I guess 25% of the people in our church are saved. Think about that, right? There's four types of soil. I mean, don't actually look around the room because you might stare at one person too long. But according to this, if you go statistically, if it's 25, 25, 25, and 25, then one-fourth of you are good soil. I don't, I don't buy that, right? But I do buy this, that in this room right now, all four types are represented in some form or fashion. What I love about this is that the sower didn't bypass the bad to throw it to the good. And our job is to throw seed everywhere. To tell people about the Word of God everywhere you go. To tell everybody about the Word of God, not just the people that you think have a shot at being saved. Because God is powerful. Throw seed everywhere. There's a commentator. His name is William Barclay. I love the way he said it. He said it like this. Some seed may fall by the wayside and be snatched away by the birds. Some seed may fall on the shallow ground and never come to maturity. Some seed may fall among the thorns and be choked to death. But that never stops him from sowing. And it doesn't make him give up hope of the harvest. The farmer sows in the confidence that even if some of the seed is wasted, nonetheless, the harvest will certainly come. Man, I implore you, throw seed everywhere. Throw it everywhere. Here's the second takeaway. And these last two are the ones that you'll hate. <laughs> it's always good to tell you that right up front, right? Here's the, here's the next one. This is about growing, not just sowing. A lot of times what we'll do is we will, um, we will read this like it's about evangelism, Right? Oh, throw seed everywhere. Yeah, I, I know how to do that. Like, I got this thing called an evangelistic track. And what I like to do is I like to put it under the windshield wiper of cars. And sometimes I'll even, like, I got one that looks like a $20 bill, but it's not. And I'll leave that as a tip. Don't do that. I mean, if you do that, leave a church card from another church, right? <laughs> Don't leave it from the gathering because that's not who we are. Um, leave the $20 bill. Talk to them about Jesus, Right? So uh, as we read this and go, oh, this is about evangelism. We should just like throw tracks everywhere and just tell, tell everybody about Jesus. No, 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 no. This is about growing. This is not just about evangelism. This is, and that's, evangelism's good. But this is about the gospel. And I'm telling you, the gospel is good for lost people and found people. It's good for people in church and it's good for people out of church. The gospel is good for people who got saved yesterday and for people who have been walking with Jesus for 20 years. The gospel is good for everybody. You never outgrow the gospel, ever. This is about growing. And at various times, all of us will find ourselves in one of these types of conditions of our heart. 
You don't graduate to good soil and then never find yourself struggling with a hard heart. Can I get an amen from somebody in the room? Amen. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm good now. I have reached heart maturity. You get cut off in traffic and you're like right back at hard heart, right? <laughs> oh, man. I did not collect go. I did not get $200, right? You never outgrow it. So the indicator is how we respond to the word that we're hearing. And that indicator is growth. And here's the last takeaway. And this is the part that we all are going to struggle with, okay? A lack of growth is a soil problem. Now, before I get super spiritual and wrap this up, um, let me ask um, at least maybe there may be one or two of you in the room. Anybody here love to listen to Colin Cowherd? I'm the only one. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. It's just me and you. I thought there might be more, but. Colin Cowherd used to be on ESPN Radio, now he's on Fox. Um, and he's, he's just a brilliant communicator, and he just talks about sports all the time. But he always throws in like these little life lessons. He's got one phrase he loves to say, and here it is. He goes, that's, that's a you problem. I love that. I love that. Like people will call up and rant on the show about like, you know, my favorite team lost, and yada, 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 or you're wrong, and and he'll just like, that's a you problem, that's not a me problem. This is a soil problem. Okay, this is a soil problem. A lack of growth is a soil problem. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. It's able to cut to the depth of who we are. Isaiah 55.11 says the word of God does not return void. Jeremiah 1.12 says that he is watching over his word to perform it. So when there's a lack of growth It's not a seed problem, okay? That's important because sometimes I think what we say to God is, I tried you and it didn't work. No, it's not a problem with the the seed, and it's not a problem with the sower, right? God's able to sow seed. Even even the people that he uses in in, in our lives to teach us, like he uses me in your life to teach you. You know what's great about this parable is? I can throw good or I can throw bad, but growth can still take place. Lack of growth is not someone else's problem. That's a you problem. That's hard to hear. Because we're not a generation that likes responsibility. We like to say things like, well, I would be further off if you had done such and such and such. No, no, no. This parable clearly states a lack of growth is a soil problem, and the soil is your heart and my heart. And so if I'm not growing, I have to start asking myself, am I hard? Am I rocky? Am I thorny? Where have I allowed the good soil to become bad? So that's takes us to the big idea and a a bigger challenge. Here's your big idea. The sower does the sowing, but the soil does the growing. The sower does the sowing, but the soil does the growing. And that's hard. That's hard. And that leads to to an even bigger challenge. Um, The challenge is to do the work necessary to ensure that our hearts are good soil. Proverbs 4.23, and and this is how we're going to wrap it up just with this last verse. Exactly. 
I'm so with you. It is so time to eat lunch. I'm doing such a bad job sowing this seed. <laughs> Proverbs 4, here we go. Um, it, the, word, the verse we're looking for is verse 23, but I'm going to start in verse 20. Just listen. It says, my son, so what I want you to do is in your head, I want you to say your own name, okay? Paul, because this, this is from a father to a son. This is from a father to his children, okay? It's God talking to us. So he says, Paul, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. They are life to those who find them and health to a whole man's body. Now, so far, do you hear what he's saying? Retain the word. Honor the word. Value the word. They are life to you. Paul, like, listen closely to what I'm saying, Paul. Like, this is it for somebody else. This is a you problem, Paul. Listen. And then here's what he says in verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. It's the well, like, guard your heart. It's amazing that we're doing this on Memorial Day weekend, isn't it? Like, you can't, you can't tie this stuff together. It's got to be God. We honor people today who have guarded our country. That's what this whole weekend is about. And the people that we're honoring that have guarded our country aren't here to celebrate with us. Why? Because they paid the ultimate sacrifice to do that. It's work to guard your heart. And he says, look, my word is life to you. But above all else, before anything else, do this more than you would do anything else. Guard your heart. Because it's the wellspring of, and, and we already know this is true. I know i got to wrap up, but we already know this is true, don't we? Like, have you ever just felt your heart get hard? Have you ever felt your heart get cynical? Have you ever felt the life sucked out of your heart? Have you ever been so dry that when you sucked through the straw, there was no nutrient there? I've been there. And it's so easy in those moments to start saying, well, if you and if you and if you, and I'm just telling you, that's a you problem. That's a heart problem. It's a soil problem. And God recognized that. He said, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. And how do we do that? The next four verses. We do it by paying attention to our speech, to our vision, to our direction, and to our convictions. Listen to what he says. He says, put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Watch your speech. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Pay attention to your vision. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. What direction are you headed in? And then lastly, he says, don't swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Pay attention to your convictions. Don't change for anybody. Like This is how we guard our heart, isn't it? We talk about guardrails a lot. So when he says, pay attention to your speech, I don't know, again, I don't know how you are. My family knows when I'm tired. God, pray for my family when I'm tired, right? Like They'll say things like, if they're gracious, they'll say, you just don't sound like yourself today, Paul. Something's like, there's a bite in your words today. And you know what that is? That's an indication that my family needs to change. <laughs> right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> She'll kill you too. 
when they say like there's a bite to your words, you know what that is? That's an indication. That's a, that's a me problem, isn't it? That's a soil problem because the Bible says that your words come from your heart. And so if there's a bite to my words, it's because there's a bite in my heart. And I've got to guard my heart. It is the wellspring of life. And somewhere along the way, a thorn has come up and is stealing the nutrients I need. I'm talking an awful lot. I hope you're getting this. I want to just make sure you get this. Guard your heart. Because the sower does the sowing, and that's good, right? But the soil does the growing. And only you can control that. Only you can control that. Guard your heart. 